Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 301st episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of K. Barton Tools, and I'm here with my co-host, Sean Wisniewski of The Corner Workshop. Today, we're visiting with Karen Binney, an outstanding woodworker, luthier, musician, audiophile, lawyer, and writer. So welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much. And um, I think we mentioned in the pre-show, so you're joining us from Birmingham, England. Yes, that's right. So Birmingham, England, or should we say UK, uh, or I always get confused, England, uh, UK, Britain. (laughs) I'm always always afraid to tick somebody off by saying it the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's some uh, political mindsets to uh, to stumble through there. Um, I, I tend, to, I tend, to, but, okay. but there you go. Uh, I, I think all uh, any. There you go. You're on, you're on that island known as England. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that That's where we are. Well, fantastic. Well, before we uh, talk more to you, uh, talk more about uh, what you're doing and what you've been up to, um, let's see a little points of interest around the community over the last week or so. So. Um, first up, uh, Veritas has a layout block and I think we might've mentioned this before. It's a small little block and they sell it for $8 and 50 cents and they had one in Imperial measurements and I bought that and I actually found that to be quite handy. And now they have released one in a metric layout and I'm probably going to pick one of those up too, because I do do some, um, um, layout in metric occasionally. So I think it'd be quite handy. And at $8 and 50 cents, you can't beat it. It's a little piece of aluminum and the metric one is all geared down to, um, having all kinds of measurements built into its design, including, um, uh, two millimeter, four millimeter, eight millimeter, 16 millimeter, and of course, 32 millimeter. So all of these are basically this little square piece of aluminum. So one, one, edge of it is two millimeters wide the other one's four millimeters wide you get the idea and the whole length of the thing is 32 millimeters which uh goes into that 32 millimeter um european cabinetry um spec so uh, anyway i like i said i find the i found the imperial one so uh handy i'm probably going to pick up one or more of these i think they're 850 a piece i think you get a deal if you get more than that i think you can get a package of three for 20 bucks 1950 yeah it's under under 20 dollars yeah yeah those are cool i mean it's not it's precision milled but yeah. the the graduation along the edge where it looks like a measuring tape an unnumbered measuring tape at that um that's not as referenceable say as like the the woodpeckers um yeah detail like where you get little like pencil lead marks that you can absolutely yeah. precisely hit that 64th of an inch or millimeter you know right. measurement but yeah, um but, but for re- i mean relatively tight measurements or in in the case of the absolute measurements of the metal itself mm-hmm. i could that's that that'll be dead nuts that's yeah that's cool. yeah one of the common issues i always have um is i think uh, festival might have fixed this, but um, I have old festival stuff, so all that stuff's in millimeters. So if I'm doing something to a board, I'm going to go, well, how thick is this in millimeters? So this is real handy just to put it up against that and say, yeah, okay, this this is you know, uh, 35 millimeters or 32 millimeters or whatever um, thick. So you know that would be really handy to have, just something you can just grab and boom, go. Mm. 
But um, anyway, um, uh, Kieran, um, do you work in Imperial or Metric or Combo or both? Uh, well, well, I've actually spent the past um, year and a half mainly working in the uh, 18th century French inch, the, the Pierre oh. Roy, um, which, which was a uh, an, uh, uh, stupidity, really, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, that, that was building a, uh, a Rabot work there. Um, right, right. But, yeah. but I am um, you know, follow, following the um, Place 11 uh, engraving and, and the description and so I thought, actually, what would be really neat here is to build a Rabot scale um, bench, you know, using the, using the um, correct uh, period appropriate uh, units of measurement. Uh, but but now that I've um, now that I've finished that bench, I'm uh, most of my furniture building tends to be in Imperial, uh, mm-hmm. but for for loosery um, millimeter rule. So so actually, kind of uh, the two depending on uh, what exactly on my bench at the time. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that Rubo build that you've done, we'll talk more about that, but I didn't realize you were doing it in the uh, traditional or the historical French measurement system. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be tough. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's move on. The other thing I wanted to highlight, this is nothing new. It's just new to me, is um, um, Mark uh, Spagnolo of the Wood Whisperer Guild had a sale. Um, a few days ago, and I happened to pick up um, one of the projects which he had on there, a little online uh, learning with uh, spindle turning with uh, Ashley Har- Harwood, and uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I think I have about two more um, episodes left in that series, but so far it's been really great. Um, you know, all the turning i've been doing and all the instruction i've been doing um has mainly come from chair makers and so i think uh, ashley you know she's a dedicated turner she does bowls and everything and so she she approaches spindle turning a bit different with a little bit different tool sets and i found it kind of fascinating not saying one's better than the other but it's just kind of interesting to see uh see how somebody else you know basically does the same thing with a different tool set so if you're uh, into spindle turning, and uh, I'd highly recommend that, you can go over to the Wood Whisperer Guild and pick that up. There you go. Yep. And um, then um, next, um, bad news um, that Handworks was canceled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I saw that about a week and a half ago, and I failed to mention it on the on the last episode, but I think they sent out a more formal announcement this week. So if you were planning on attending that event, it has been canceled, but they will have it next year. Um, but um, talking about turning, uh, the American Association of uh, Wood Turners is actually having their big conference July 10th through 12th, and it's going to be virtual. So um, they're doing something online, which I think is is very interesting. Um, so uh, that's all the details they've released so far. They just said, hey, we're going virtual for a conference. So I'm not sure what that, that looks like. But, um, you know, it might be something I've attend, I might uh, attend if it's uh, fairly reasonable. Yeah. Um, yeah. At this point, I mean, unfortunately, I think we can just kind of brace for any and all to be postponed for, yeah. for the foreseeable the rest of the year or so. I think it's, you know, if you're... Um, of the gigantic events that that really, well, first off, postponed the spring event, and and I'm not even talking woodworking, the, mm-hmm. the Boston Marathon being what it is, uh, mm-hmm. they have postponed and then now have canceled this year from their postponement date. It's just like 
everything's just safely being pushed to yeah. 2021. Um, but no, absolutely. Uh, I would love to get out to a handwork since the beginning of it. I, um, uh, I've always wanted to. The mm-hmm. one time I did go to Iowa, it wasn't for that. It was just far <laughs> enough away. It was like, oh, you know, I can't. I couldn't do it twice in a year, you know. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can make it next year. So uh, we'll have to wait and see when they're going to reschedule that. But uh, anyway, it sh- it should be good. Um, you know, it, it's it's yeah, it's a strange year. Because normally I only see all y'all once a year at one of these events, and they're yeah, all canceled. <laughs> right. Hey. But anyway, but yeah, we'll have to see how the uh, AAW uh, event uh, goes. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm starting to venture more into doing some turning, so that might be something I should check out and see. Mm-hmm. But and speaking of everything going uh, virtual or online, um, I just want to. Uh, give a shout out to uh, Austin School of Furniture and Design and the Florida School of Woodwork. And I'm sure there are a lot others out there. I know uh, Vic Teslin's doing some online classes, but uh, check those out for some online classes because they really have some great instructors uh, coming up um, uh, with uh, with those online classes. So, you know, if it's something you're, you're interested in, um, go out there and t- take a look. I'm sure you'll find a class you would uh, like to attend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. There's there's a uh, a lot of things happening now as far as being more online and virtual. And I wonder if they will continue once everything gets better. Um, I hope so. In some cases, a friend of mine just bought a car and said it was the most pleasing experience he ever had. <laughs> they delivered the car to to him. He did a test drive, came back. And they came back about an hour later, picked it up. He negotiated everything on the phone. Then a day later, they delivered the car <laughs> with the paperwork in the car. You know. There you go. So I guess didn't even have to leave my house. So yeah. <laughs> so that was that was that's fantastic. But let's move on to what's in the shop. So uh, Sean, uh, are things buzzing in your shop? <laughs> you know, it's amazing how quiet a hive of bees actually is. Um, <laughs> It, it really is. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm later today. I'm, I'm actually going to go suit up and, and check on them. Just this is our kind of weekly progress check. We through the week we only check them for food, but you know, it to get that close to that number of bees, and I just go out and flip flops and shorts, and I take the lid off and I reach inside. I you know pull out the old food, put in new food, and and put everything back. And a, a few and single digits will buzz around, but no one's attacking me. I mean, they're the honeybees are not aggressive. They mm-hmm. if if you if you really tick them off, they'll go after you. But they have it in I think their mind that they die if they if they sting you. So it's yeah. got to be worthwhile. You know, to mm-hmm. kamikaze, uh, you, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah. But um. But no, uh, so uh, as I talked about before, I'm, I'm making the, the super boxes, super just meaning above in this case, the Latin sense of super. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm making them out of cedar and just making real simple box joints. And so the, the first venture in those with, with hand tools was easy to cut. It's cedar, right? It's very light. It's very, um, well, it's fairly open celled, but, um, but pairing was a complete pain in the butt. So um, I haven't yet, but I've been stirring around the idea of bringing this hybrid approach to it and trying to clean up my hand-cut finger joints with a jigsaw because I can control a jigsaw down to a line pretty well. And it doesn't have to be the prettiest thing. It's a box joint for a thing that's going to sit outside and be weathered. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's it'll hold together. I, I'm sure of it. But, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm going to 
go bring the an extension cord and get the saws outside and just you know start it as close as I can with as nice as I can cut it indoors, which is actually I'm I'm close, but it's not quite there. And mm-hmm. uh, but really, it's the bottom line of those of those joints that just paring down with a chisel is a royal pain uh, into roughs on red cedar. I don't know. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. juniper tree as far as I know is what it actually is. Oh, I have no okay. Idea. I think so. Only because I cut junipers down and they smell and look identical. It's that purple color, mm-hmm. purple, to, purple to red color with white uh, uh, sapwood and um, and very I mean, the same aroma. So I, yeah. I don't know. It's I know they're in the family together, but it's um yeah. I I, I just thought of that. I'm like yeah. I, I don't use my jigsaw barely ever, mm-hmm. but I think a power jigsaw might be the the treat for this. That or tuning up the table saw that I legitimately have never touched since my dad gave it to me. But I don't think I wanted to go through that just to make four box jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Probably, probably not worth it. Yeah, not really. But because you, knowing you, you'll never use it again. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I actually, what did I say the other day? Oh, I, I. We have this little, um, it's a viewing door. The hive that we bought is a flow mm-hmm. hive, and so the upper section of it actually has plexiglass in it, and you can, like, take off and look inside. It's, mm-hmm. meant, it's meant for inspection. And the one was sticking quite quite bad. Like, you were moving the whole box trying to take this little window out. And so I took it downstairs and a couple passes with a plane on all four sides and the spoke shave on the rounded corners, and I walked outside and I actually, my wife looked at me with a little squint in her eye, and I, I said, no electrons were hurt in, in the trimming of this piece, <laughs> and, and took it back out, and now it fits much easier, you know, just take a, off a few thou, and right. I, I love hand woodworking for that. I absolutely enjoy, enjoy it. It's just, cedar's yep. not the wood to, to mess around with, not in my shop, at least. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, well, good yeah, luck. How about you? Yeah, good thanks. Luck. Thanks. What's yeah. up with your, yeah, I, your jigs, man? Oh, my jigs. I'm <laughs> I'm batching them out. Well, I'm about to batch them out, I should probably say. Um, so when this whole um, COVID-19 hit and we were all sequestered, I said, you know, now's a good time to, uh, to you know, batch out some jigs and get a small inventory and stop making these things made to order. And uh, I now am out of inventory. <laughs> so it's a good problem to have. I need to batch some more out. So, and that involves, um, I need to get some wood. So I'm still a little hesitant about, uh, going to our, um, local lumber yard, uh, to get some maple, not getting it is not the problem, but actually checking out is the problem because they're in a little small office and it's always crowded. Um, so I was just like, I need to call them and see what they're doing, but I did check out some online prices. And so my local lumber yard was selling hard maple is what I need for, for my jigs. And, uh, they were selling it for seven seventy five a board foot, but I can get stuff online. that's almost pre-dimensioned to the, uh, at least to the rough dimensions I need, but I'm paying more like $11 a board foot. So Ooh. yeah, it's like, ah, I, you know, I, I, it, I it doesn't seem a... so, it doesn't seem so bad when you go two and a half by two and a half inch, um, uh, uh, planks that are 30 inches long, you know, and you know, it doesn't seem too bad when you look at the price, but then when you start figuring out about board foot going, yeah, that's a little steep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I do have some of that, and and I did only pay about a dollar a board foot for it, but mm-hmm. that yeah. was locally locally sourced, cut and dried uh, yeah. stuff I from did. a buddy of mine. I could I could send what I have to you. Let me let me <laughs> dig through my piles and see if any of it's useful. 
<laughs> well, shipping is probably going to be a killer on on something like that. Who I would, knows? We'll who find knows? It. Yeah, I did. I did get some um, nice air dried uh, maple blanks from uh, David Duyard, who sent in them to me. But those are for chair legs, so mm. yeah, they're air dried maple. But yeah, um, so I. I I kind of want to save those. They're already rounded into blanks and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of want to save that for uh, for chair legs. But if worse comes to worse, we'll see. But anyway, so so Karen, what what are you um, working on in your shop? Uh, so <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, right now, building a boarded book and maple um, using the design from the Anarchist Design Book by Chris uh, Swartz. Uh, oh, which is, the, um, the the little the the squared one, the squared bookcase in there. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's um, basically um, it, it's all dados and nails and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting here staring at mine. It's <laughs> 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 a great place. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, uh, I, I've got um, uh, uh, w- w- one of the problems of uh, of being a kind of a historian, I, I suppose, and an avid reader is um, we've always got a surplus of books, and, and we moved into our house five years ago. I've got three large books of, uh, boxes of books on the floor of my study, which I still don't have a home. Um, yeah. So uh, it's a bookcase that's very necessary right now. So so that, that that's the uh, that I've got on the go, um, and and it, it, it's a really fun one because actually um, a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment is really getting is, is building the bookcase, but really it's also getting used to the to the Rabo Ben um, mm-hmm. because you, you you can kind of forget that it, it, it can take quite a while after and get a. Uh, a, a new bench to actually uh, get used to um, workflow and uh, developing a, a, a rhythm uh, in working with it. Right. And and the uh, I think the Rebo designs really uh, really fascinating perspective. You know, actually taking a uh, you know using a lot of uh, historic techniques. You know, um, and historic approaches like holding. You know, mo- modern woodworkers often uh want to clamp the snot out of their work pieces you know everything gets uh, mm-hmm. cinched to the bench and it's never going to um, right uh, and actually it's okay if the workpiece moves while you're working it providing you do it in a um providing it's uh, a predictable and controlled way so you mm-hmm. know when you're when you're planing wide boards actually just planing into a baton that's held by the planing stop and, and hold fast mm-hmm. and yeah the thing shifts around a bit but but it doesn't matter. You don't need every kind of clamped down tight. So, so, so right now it's, it's building a, a bookcase, but but really also undergoing a bit of a, I suppose a um uh, a discovery process with the with the Rabo bench. Mm-hmm. Are are you modifying the bookcase in any way? Or are you building uh, it per spec? No, I, I'm building it uh, straight from straight from. Okay, cool. Yeah, I uh, I did the same thing. Yeah, and he's got everything laid out. You know, well, of course, Chris, yeah. you know, he's an avid book collector, too. But, yeah, yeah, the mm. dimensions are absolutely perfect for, for uh, at least my, my collection. And, yes. uh, unfortunately, I, I, my bookcase is probably at least 50% filled with his book. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think, oh, so, you bought all these books for me. Here's a bookcase to store them in. <laughs> It's, it's cunning, isn't it? And then, yes. of course, you can build the um, the bookcase uh, from the campaign furniture book as well. And exactly. then you've got more books, so, yes. which is good. Yes. Lost Art Press have lots more books coming out. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's feeding as a cycle, doesn't it? Um, are, the, are, the sh- are the shelf dimensions for those predetermined to fit the the book of plates, the Rubo reprint? <laughs> <laughs> the bottom one might. I don't know. <laughs> 
I have this. I, I didn't I buy the huge thing. one. I just bought the smaller. One. Or no, no, the plates only came in the big one. I just have the other one that does have some of them. Right. Uh, it's, I've, yeah. I've got the book of plates. Like it will fit the lower shelf. Excellent. Lower shelf. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I, I built the uh, staked um, desk out of the Anarchist Design book a few years ago in Maple, so I'm slowly building a full um, suite of office furniture. So it'll be nice. the chair next, and yeah, then I'll have a uh, uh, full full matching set of anarchists uh, office furniture (laughs) yeah i want to build the desk too i did i did build uh uh the chair that he has there i felt Mm. i built four iterations of it the first one was pretty much the design from the book and then by the last one i'd have curves on it (laughs) and big (laughs) chambers on it (laughs) so it's like ah, it's not so much a state uh, uh, chair anymore. It's more like a pseudo Windsor chair now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, um, tell us a little bit about your background and um, and um, you know why you came in. It's my understanding you do, you do have a kind of a history background before you became a lawyer. Yes, um, good grief. Um, so you're right. I, I studied history at um, degree level um, and then postgraduate. Um, at the University of York and um, uh, really I mean woodwork more interesting I, I'd not done any woodwork until I was 25 um, we oh, wow. didn't do it at school because mm-hmm. you know, no one does shop class at school anymore mm-hmm. and um, uh, but, but I've I've been a lifelong musician uh, I'm a classically trained violinist and tuba player um, very young age and 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 that's actually what led me to um, to woodwork uh, to making things um, because after a long time especially playing violin I, I understood how a musician could pick up a, an instrument and get it to make a sound didn't understand and was increasingly interested in was actually the mechanics of how musical instruments themselves actually function so how does violin which is effectively a wooden box um, with, with strings on it, function how does that make the sound and and so that that's what led me to to an interest in woodwork. Uh, af- after law school, uh, I took a gap year mm-hmm. and um, decided to take a year out before I actually started working at a law firm. Uh, and I spent nine months working in construction industry because I uh, knew at that point that construction law was was what I was interested in in following professionally. Mm-hmm. But I also think that was purely. Uh, for me, and so I, I the last three of my gap here, I enrolled at the Tottenham School of Guitar Making in Devon, in uh, in England, uh, which is a, um, a really renowned program. It's incredibly intensive. It's it's three months of uh, seven days a week uh, for for the full twelve weeks, ninety eight percent hand tool folk, and uh, and that just my mind. Uh, yeah, having ne- never done real woodwork before that, then going in um, really hyper-focused um, workshop environment was just incredible. And you start from scratch. Everyone starts from scratch on the program. So uh, the first three days, you have a um, large sheet of tracing paper and a pencil, and you draw um, and design the guitar you're going to build uh, from, from scratch just with um, uh, just using pencil and paper. And it's mm-hmm. constantly, constantly refining the curves by hand. You know, getting it, getting the whole thing to flow and to look right, and then building in uh, the bracing pattern, uh, the dimension. You know, um, so you you design a guitar from literally um, blank paper, and then right. you you build it 
over wow. the course of the 12 weeks. It's it's incredibly intense. But um, imagine. Fantastic. Um, a- and and you're not guaranteed it's going to sound correct either. Um, well, fortunately, the um, Phil Messer, the tutor there, is incredibly experienced in this for over 20 oh, years. Oh, so, so that's not going to work. Uh, yeah. Try so, so, so he, he, yeah, he, he definitely... <laughs> Um, you'll you'll ask him incredibly and, and you're very free with he's very happy to kind of talk you through through things. So you should, if if you listen um and follow instructions, get something that sounds okay. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's um, that that was in just six of us there in the class working. Uh, as I say, it's nearly entirely hand tool mm-hmm. based. Yes. Um yes. And, and you have so, to like scrape like the I don't know what you call them, the top and backboards, right? To get them to a certain thickness and it varies over the the width and length of that yeah absolutely yeah. so you're working in the tolerance um it was baffling coming mm-hmm. never having done woodwork then coming to that <laughs> and and you know the coursework you've tenth and yeah. the the really fine work it's to 100 and you think good grief um but but it's you know it, it was an incredible introduction to woodwork uh it was uh an incredible way to to develop those core handwork skills mm-hmm you know, actually, you know, how do you set up a block plane? How do you set up a, a number five right. jack? You know, how, how do you use? Um, it's just, and there, and there weren't really any lessons how to do that so much as just doing it all day, every day for 12 weeks. Um, right. Or, or, under expert tuition, you, you develop good habits, you pick up good habits and technique and, and mm-hmm. you refine them. And at the end of it, you, you, you have a guitar, um, mm-hmm. which, which was amazing. Um, it's almost, to be honest, because you know, twelve oh. weeks of just building yeah. uh, building guitars every day, and um, I, I ended up playing mandolin in a, uh, a jam band two nights a week in local <laughs> pubs. So it's like, why would I ever go into the Lord? This is incredible. <laughs> um, <laughs> then I realised I wasn't really equipped for poverty. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, for the money, you'd go into law. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, or but, yeah, groceries yeah. at least. <laughs> Yeah, being being able to pay the rent. Yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, but yes, it was. Uh, so that that was my first. That was my into woodwork um, uh-huh. when I was twenty five. And that, then that, I. That's amazing. Sorry. One question I have is is um, so after coming out of that class, I'm sure there are a lot of tips and techniques that you learned there that you've taken hmm. into more uh, traditional flat wood woodworking or or whatever you want to call it. That that uh, I mean, are there a bunch of tips and tricks that you're like. Why didn't anybody? Why isn't anybody talking about this? Is a much easier way to do it than you know what's traditionally taught in you know cabinet making or something. Absolutely, um, and and this is something that I'm that I'm uh, really in. Uh, um, I think I actually wrote an article for Furniture Cabinet Making Magazine uh, a long time ago now. Um, I think 2014, uh, Christmas 2014, an article um, on uh, what I call parallel skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- this is actually a concept I, I got from my uh, martial arts instructor who was talking about a you know, very much similar thing. You know, you, you train in different martial and you always pick up something that you then take over to, to right. those martial arts and so on and so forth. And and um, and carry out the, the search for parallel skills, things that either I can take from Lou 3 to apply to my flat work or take from, you know, a different um, discipline within woodcraft and, and apply to to other things. It, it's something that's really interesting. Um, so, so for Lou, um, 
coming from a Luthery round, two of the things that I found really um, in flat work is, um, well, one, one's um, clamps and try, trying to wrestle clamps into various awkward uh, contortions <laughs> is, is pretty routine, isn't it? And, right. and, and it never goes well. And actually, um, I really like go uh, to, to, to clamp something. So I, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, the use of go bars as a clamping technique. It's um, quite a, a common Luthery technique. And and it basically yeah, I mean, I, I don't yeah. know the name, but I think I know what you're talking about. But go ahead. Yeah. So, so basically, you're talking about thin, flexible uh, strips of wood. I quite like ash. It's stringy. Mm-hmm. It's not going to snap, um, which uh, which are over long for the um the space you put them in so basically you're getting oh, okay. yep. pressure from a, mm-hmm. an interference so um often uh say building guitars you'll you'll clamp the brace inside of the acoustic guitar by setting the soundboard uh, on a go bar deck you'll have a, a solid ceiling uh, above the deck and you'll put um you'll put the go bars in there oh and yeah you'll yeah to bend them in, and then, and then mm-hmm. they force the the, the uh, bracing down but right. you can use it uh, you can use it in flat work so if you're um uh, a tool chest if you want to put runners on the inside of a tool chest for, for sliding trays then mm-hmm. you know getting the clamps down far enough to reach can be tricky so actually just putting go bars inside the chest Mm-hmm. You know, that, that are over long for the, right. for the dimensions and they'll they'll hold everything in place while while the glue can. so so that that's a nice technique that, that yeah I that is, really that is. Hmm. Um, yeah yeah uh, i have i have seen that before um you know and people building guitars and mm-hmm. uh violins or whatnot but yeah it's like they got some sort of rack that's over their work and all these uh sticks of wood coming down and like you said, they're over long and they're bent, but they're holding everything down to the bench. So, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about using it like inside of a casework or something. That That is that is I like that. So so, so that was loose. And then I mm-hmm. suppose, um, you know, wh- where it then developed um, further was just happy building guitars and, uh, and not looking beyond that. And then I suppose like a lot of people, I, I ended up stumbling across uh, the Lost Art Press block. Uh, and this would have been 2011, I yeah. think. And and I came across the Anarchist Tool Chest. Yeah. And, you and entered the danger zone right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's really the gateway to furniture. Isn't yeah. It? Um, mm-hmm. I um, I saw the time I was co- uh, at the time I was working a motley uh, assorted collection of kind of black plastic um, toolboxes, none of which were particularly satisfactory. Um, and and so the idea of actually having a tool chair uh, where where it could be stored was was ideal. Um, but right, I'll get the book then. Um, just thinking it's, it's a tool chest book and of course it isn't at all you know really the the tool chest is is a metaphor it's a mm-hmm. just a, a way of bringing you in and 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 then you know discussing a lot of other things and and that book my mind and suddenly i thought yeah furniture like furniture i could make things that we need i could make things that are useful um and that um and that really set off down yet another um, rabbit hole Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and so and so that's that's really uh, that that set me on the path that that's led to where I am now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. That, so primarily, you're you are a hand tool woodworker now. With your uh, background in history, how's that you know influenced or guided uh, your hand tool woodworking? Um, yeah, I, 
you're right. I'm I'm predominantly. Cool. I I do mm-hmm. have um some uh, very helpful in the shop, um, mm-hmm. you know, bandsaw, drill press, uh, lathe, um, uh, and a few power tools. But you know, probably ninety five percent of my work right. is hand tool, and that's definitely when I'm happier. Um, but uh, I I think I think you know in terms of how how the interest in histories played out, I think. A large part of it is that there are very few problems that you can encounter at the workbench that haven't been encountered by someone before. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, instead of having to reinvent the wheel, you know, uh, listening to what the dead guys have to say is is actually a really helpful way of problem. So, you know, as I was saying earlier, you don't need to uh, clamp your workpiece to your bench top for every single operation. There are someone that's quite helpful, but actually... You know, um, in terms of uh, something as simple as you know, hand planing a piece of wood. If you're if you use a doze foot and hold fast and planing stock, which mm-hmm. is the work holding arrangement on on my Rubo bed, it's um, it's actually thread. It's incredibly effective. It's very simple to set up and it holds to work perfectly. Uh, it's been a complete revelation. I, um, my previous bench was um, uh, a, a Scandinavian um, manufactured bench, and mm-hmm. um, and it was fine. Uh, yeah. When I started, and, and actually for Lou three, where where you're not doing big heavy work, it was it was just the ticket. Um, mm-hmm. But for furniture, it was um, miserable, truly miserable experience. And and so you know, then moving to this historically based approach has been really um, it's, it's just improved my workflow and my my experience at the bench. Um, and I didn't have to think of any of it myself, which is great, <laughs> isn't it? You know, someone's already, um, you know, right. um, a couple of hundred years worth of woodworkers have already figured it out for you. So I think that's, I think that's one thing. Um, but, but the other is I, I, I do really miss you know, historical research and, and, you know, immersing myself in history. And actually, um, I, I think woodworking is a way that, that, that makes it possible to engage with, with history um, at, at the work. Uh, and not in a slave way, but actually just mm-hmm. you know, um, it situates handle woodworking situates you within a a tradition that goes right. back quite a long time, and and so the the problem solving is there, the techniques are there, and also um, occasion, you know, it it, it can um, it can even point to it can point to new ways of working, and sometimes when you just want to change, instead of standing at the bench and doing something the same way you've always done it as you you know again what do the dead guys say is there another way i can try this just because i might learn something new mm-hmm. um and, and actually i think when i studied there was so much emphasis was put on traditional archival written sources historians were very traditional very conservative and and the study of history has actually become a lot broader over the past couple of years you know historians are getting much more inventive about how they engage with their source material so food historians study right mm-hmm. now food historians are actually trying to make this you know actually right. i i've got this weird recipe from 1325 um mm-hmm. I, you know let's see if we can make it and, and i think that that's um that's yep. really interesting because it actually then links back into idea of the workshop almost being um an experimental place you know um yep. uh well, it's yeah. very it's very interesting that you mentioned that because uh, last week I I uh, made a recipe that I found um, online from I think it was 1780. Now that's pretty contemporary for you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was this recipe for the way they did a pork chop uh, back then, and I went. That's pretty. That's pretty unique and pretty simple to do. And we tried it out, and we've had it three times since then. 
Fantastic. Came out really well. <laughs> of course, over here yeah. in the COVID, uh, my freezer just stocked with all kinds of <laughs> stuff. So, you know, it's like, we got to eat yeah. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go go on. I just thought that was I thought that was a yeah. uh, uh, kind of interesting. But <laughs> no, I, I, I'm all I, I'm up for eating this. That's yeah. uh, that's like a good thing. <laughs> I mean, but you know, um, I, I, I in in terms of thing, you know, I, I I think there's um I think there's a, there's a lot to be gained. Again, not slavish, but, but mm-hmm. there's a lot to be gained by engaging woodwork history. When I was um when I started getting into furniture, I actually set myself the challenge of working through the projects in the Joiner and Cabinet Making book, which was published by Lost Art Press. Mm-hmm. You know, which is um it's a nineteenth century um introduction to woodwork. Right. And um and that's actually a fantastic way. Um uh, I think a fantastic way to enter furniture making if uh, if you're new to woodcrafts and you don't have a toolkit or you're not sure you know um you're not sure how to develop your skills because the three projects build up in complexity mm-hmm. um and in the number of tools you need and i, th- I thought that was just a, a really lovely way of actually kind of, um, taking first steps in in a different craft really so that that was um and and for me the the, the perfect um of history and woodwork really has to be um uh, ingenious mechanics uh, chris's book on mm-hmm. um, uh historic workbench because i yeah. thought that 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 was a real blend of um hardcore archival you know a lot of history of art in there um mm-hmm. and you know uh, interrogating um historic sources and then also the the experimental archaeology kind of you know um actually sitting sitting in your workbench um right. in your workshop having built one of these kind of funky looking benches and and then trying to figure out how it works because no one's written instruction manual for it right. so actually you know just you know, trying trying different things until until you've decoded how this how this these workbench works i i thought that was a um a really seminal book actually i'm not i'm not sure everyone else agreed with me but but i but i thought it was um absolutely phenomenal piece yeah. of work yeah no no i have a, uh, of course i have that book but no it is <laughs> yeah no it is a great book and when i took a, a class at lost art press yeah i was able to play around with uh, the roman wood workbench he had there i don't know if it's still there or not but um but uh yeah it was pretty fascinating to play around with and uh, see mm-hmm. how it works and um um he did have like the the shave horse attachment to it um yeah, yeah i think we've improved on that but um <laughs> it, was still, <laughs> it was still interesting though <laughs> it would be fun you know uh being being someone that uh that uh, uh i guess i should say now used to use the shave horse a lot it uh i think it would work in a pinch but uh if it's something you were doing every day you might want something a little bit more dedicated but as far as the actual functionality of that bench and sitting on it and being able to hold uh um uh your wood either you know flat or on edge i mean it worked fine and yeah. uh, i think maybe more ergonomic as we get older and our backs get a little uh <laughs> more sore um it might might have some benefit i've, I've been uh, challenging myself that i need to build one of those and try it out in my own shop but haven't yeah. got there yet i i um so, so when i was building this robot bench um entirely on a, a four foot long um scandinavian which is you know a great test of um <laughs> the uh the, the stretches were too long to uh, the stretches for the robot were far too long to actually uh mount on on my workbench and so i ended up processing those by hand um by putting them across two um saw benches and then sit uh, then sitting on the workpiece you know um which was an idea i'd got from the, the ingenious mechanics book and it worked brilliant 
Not mm-hmm. much fun with a jointer, but um, uh, you know, it, w- with the jack plane and smoother, it was mm. uh, it was actually surprisingly comfortable. Uh, mm. And again, you, know, you are the clamp, so there's right. no fussing around with hold fasts or, or clamps or anything else. It was just. Right. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was it was actually a really really neat way to work. Yeah, yeah. yeah I found I found myself doing that. Just I was cutting quarter inch plywood actually, but with a handsaw. And it's just, it moves around so much, and I, it's such a big, I was cutting a relatively large piece, but I had it on two sawhorses, and I ended up just sitting on it and sawing next to myself. And it worked much better than trying to do anything else, because something else would have gotten in the way. But yeah, and that way you can shift it as you move, too, you know, really easily as you move through the cut, or, you know, in, in my case. And uh, yeah, that's, the body has a clamp. Yeah, meat clamp. Everyone, <laughs> meat, well, meat everyone clamp. has one. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Built in. Yes. Yeah, mine's getting stronger all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, well, anyway, well, well. Um, speaking of the Robo uh, 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 Bench project, and, and so you're doing a lot with the Furniture and Cabinet Making Magazine. I believe that's a series of articles you're writing for them. Correct? Yes. Um, yeah. I've, I've actually just my forty fourth on C. So how did the so, how did the Rubo project start? I guess maybe a little background on that. Um, the the Rubeau project. Um, was it just you getting fed up and say I'm going to do this, or was it something that you had in the back of your mind? Hey, I'm really going to dive deep into this. It it, it was um it's been a bucket list project. Yeah, okay. Um, for, for a long time actually, and then I I just um I, I I got to the end of my tether within bench. I'd um I'd been building it and uh, just having a, a a really frustrating time trying to work on this bench that was not really sturdy enough for um for furniture making you know mm-hmm. you, you traverse boards with a with a hand plane and the bench is just dancing around the workshop so you're bracing mm-hmm. and it still finds a way to skitter with you running after it and um and so i thought right I'm, i need a better and i've always wanted to build a remote bench. you know this is this is what i want to do um easy right well, uh, well, mm. well, let's do that then. And then I got things like actually, um, I could I could make this more interesting. You know, taking the taking the kind of um, experimental history approach to it. How about I do it all by hand? Because actually, I I well, uh, mm. I didn't have a shop full of um, industrial sized machines that could <laughs> right. handle uh, a slab top bench. Yeah. And um, and then I thought, right, well, I've I've got to do this all by hand because I don't really have a choice, and that's fine. Um, but then, how if I, you know, Brendan Gaffney had announced his um, rulers of the the ancient world, right? Uh, series mm-hmm. series of uh, yeah. I meant to ask uh, you earlier, rulers. you were using one of Brendan. Yes, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. And um, I thought, well, let, let's let's get one of those and let's build it to the the original um, units of measurement because that'll be fun. And uh, and it, it actually was. Um, once you once you realise that you've just got one master ruler for the for the entire build, mm-hmm. uh, and and you can't just chop and change depending on which um, which combination square or what have you is to hand, it actually didn't make much difference uh, to, mm. to the build. Um, mm. It means that the bench is about six inches longer than it would have otherwise been. Because mm. I, I built a bench, but that's you know. Um, a, Eight foot at um, 1.066 modern inches to the to a single uh, French inch. Yeah. So okay. I, 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 a little bit longer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, six inches longer, and and all of the components are slightly beefy. Well, did you ask Brendan to make you a uh, folding French ruler? 
<laughs> oh, I should have. Uh, I should have. I, when it came to the bench top, I, I took a calculus. Okay. Oh, there you go. There you go. There's no shame. Yeah. And so I thought, right, well, I'm, I'm building. And um, uh, Derek Jones, who who at the time was editor of FNC, was always on the lookout for more content. And I, I'd been writing. I've been writing for FNC as a regular columnist since mm-hmm. the autumn of 2014. Um, now, FNC Furniture and Cabinet Making Magazine, that's primarily a British public, correct? Uh, yes. I mean, they, yeah. they've got I a, mean, um, you can get it over here in the States, but. Mm, there's a, there's an, uh, an iPad as well. So if yeah. you can't locate a physical mm. copy in a, in a post-COVID-19 world, then you can download mm. from the safety and comfort of, of your own quarantine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it's it's primarily uh, and, and mm-hmm. I'd met Derek summer of 2014 when I did the anarchist tool chest class with Chris. Mm-hmm. And so that that was the first time I taught the anarchist tool chest UK, and um, I uh, jumped uh, jumped at it uh, as soon as it was advertised. I signed up for that class um, uh, uh, with a very good friend from university, and uh, we, we both went down uh, to do it. And I um, I was writing my blog. I'd started my blog about a year before that. So I thought, what would be really neat is I'll, um, I'll blog everything in the class. I've chronicled the ups and downs of emotional turmoil of uh, a five-day dovetail death march. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and Derek came up to me. I wasn't didn't really know about FNC yeah. uh, at that point. Derek came up to me on the Thursday morning and said, I've been reading your blog. And I thought, oh, I've not said anything like libelous have i <laughs> uh, am i about to be escorted out of class um anyway um and he, he asked me to write for the magazine uh, which is just not something that had ever crossed my mind you know i mm. i knew people did write for magazines but i never i could or should um and and i said yes and uh started writing for him shortly after the class so i think october 2014 my first article came out with them and uh, as i say i've just sent off the final uh, installment of the robo series which has been a 10 article series so that that's my 44th piece for fmc and uh, that'll be out in a few months time wow that, that's fantastic wow so, so how long how long completely did it take you to build that bench um it was 13 months start to finish i think so i started in january 2019 it was finished um at the end of march 2020 but i took a two-month break in the middle of that to um research and write an article for mortis and tenon uh on welsh stick chairs which which also involved building a uh, a traditional style Welsh stick chair so I, I had to leave this um, kind of monstrous slab top robot in a semi-completed state and then try mm-hmm. and build a chair dancing around it which mm-hmm. was um, a bit of a challenge in my quite modest size shop <laughs> I can well, you did a, yeah you did a great job with the uh, Welsh stick chair too uh, that was no, uh, thank you very much that's that's fantastic you know uh, yeah we were uh, we, we've had Chris Williams on um, a few episodes ago, and we had the uh, Chair Chat guys, uh, Rudy and Kloss, on a, a mm. few episodes ago, too. So um, we're well-versed in the Welsh stick chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that was a fantastic article. So who else have you uh, contributed to? Morris and Tenon, so furniture and cabinet making? Um, uh, and also popular woodwork. Uh, oh, okay. So- yeah, probably four articles for for Popwood now. So mm-hmm. um, back in 2016, I um, uh, my my first piece with Popwood was um, uh, an 
an interview with Carl Holtoy, um, who of uh, Holtoy uh, classic hand play, because yes. he was on the verge of retiring. And um, if anyone's on Instagram, they'll have realised recently that, that Carl's retirement is not like the sort of retirement anyone else. I, I saw that this recognize. morning. Yes, uh, that, yeah. that's that's something that's not in our show notes that I was going to ask you about. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so the short answer is that Carl's still going and and making uh-huh. incredible planes. Um, for, for the for the longer and much, you will have to wait. Uh, a few months i'm okay. uh, i'm currently uh, carl and i are currently doing a, a post retirement um to view and and that will be out in popular woodworking later on this year oh excellent that's great that's great so also also you're uh, working on a book with lost art press now so tell us about yes. that the book yes. book or the book book the book book um it's it's a challenge in how men can get yes um so so yes this is um this is a book i'm uh, co-writing with chris schwartz uh, which is you know a real um mm-hmm. um i'm very excited about and it's um it won't surprise you given everything else we've talked about today but <laughs> it, it, it is very much you know um it is taking a historical focus and we're looking at the development um, and evolution of the bookcase, um, which is which, which is really fascinating, partially because I have too many boxes of books that need homes, um, and so it's highly relevant to my interest. But but really, um, we never look at books, do we? You know, um, cool. we always look at the books, we look at the contents, mm-hmm. and um, and so actually, how what, why a bookcase is um uh the um the dimensions and you know and and shape and and design that we often use and how long has this been the case and how's they changed um and and it, it's a really interesting uh trawl for furniture record so i spent i spent three days earlier this year looking at um historic libraries uh, mm-hmm. at the university of oxford and then the university of cambridge uh so i've uh, i've been looking at uh samuel peeps uh personal bookcases um uh from the late 17th century and mm-hmm. those are the first believed the first example of uh bookcases with adjustable shelves oh wow yeah yeah it wasn't like here it was samuel yeah. peaks um yeah. so uh, <laughs> well <laughs> who knew um but so when <laughs> when did the bookcases really become popular of course it had to be with the wealthy because books were so expensive and rare but mm-hmm. uh when did the uh the I guess the classic bookcase that we know of. When when did that actually creep into the uh, households? Well, well, I mean, it's a really or castles, question. I guess. <laughs> it, it's a really interesting question. The earliest example of what what you and I would recognize as a bookcase mm-hmm. that I've been able to find is from the eighth century. Oh. Mm. Well, it's and, one of those things. That, I mean, it, it, it's it's as much of a utility furniture as a dresser or a cupboard. You know, right? Like it, mm, its yeah. purpose is primarily just to hold things, not to necessarily yes. even look good, just because we need some place to organize. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and and so the and very early book ownership uh, books would often because they were so valuable would have been kept in a in a chest something like that mm-hmm. where it could mm-hmm. be locked up but the the the, the earliest example of a, a, a recognized case is is from the 8th century and that's from a um a bible that was um produced at um, a, a monastery in mm-hmm. uh, northumberland so in the north of england mm-hmm. um I, i'm still searching to see if we can find anything earlier than that but certainly that's um, yeah that that's the earliest can find and then you then you look yeah at that the, makes uh, that makes sense that it would be in a monastery too yes yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. complete I'm, sense. So I wonder if there are any of the Irish monasteries have anything. <laughs> well, as uh, right now, um, my research is fo- uh, focusing on, on um, England because it's yeah. – well, Right, right now in COVID to get anywhere. But um, exactly you know, uh, pre pre lockdown, it was um, you know I, I was focusing within easy striking distance. We we are looking as well. Uh, I don't expect to late century book cases. Uh, on, no, on, <laughs> but, but but actually there's some really interesting things. So so the the idea behind the book is looking evolution of the bookcase, mm-hmm. and then um, so it's going to be part historic, um, but then also we're going to uh, include a of projects. Um, and we're going to build a uh, bookcases, <coughs> so uh, key uh, historic bookcases. Uh, one of the uh, one of my list projects is the Jefferson bookcase. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll be we'll be including that um, right. some campaign bookcases because they're they're just wonderful. And um, uh, and and one of the really lovely ones that we want to include is um, the two days I spent at Oxford University. What I noticed. Uh, you've got a very distinctive form of bookcase in these um, historic libraries. So uh, Corpus Christi College, uh, Lincoln College, um, Jesus College, um, all souls. Uh, you've got these uh, old bookcases um, that were built over several hundred years, um, St. Uh, St. John's College as well. Um, you, you've got these beautiful bookcases. And... Um, over the couple of hundred years, they uh, they're more and more refined, but they're still recognised the same form. So you, mm-hmm. they'd be they'd be um, probably about eight foot tall and about half the width of a room, and you'd have um, shelves and uh, a, a a desk desktop would would fold down on hinges, have a bench in front of it. And the very early ones were chained, so you'd actually have metal rails um, across in front of each shelf. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and, and rings, uh, which mm-hmm. then connected chains, uh, which were uh, punctured the spines of the books, so that the books could be used. Um, but yeah, that, that's a, that's a real game of that's real Game of Thrones type stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they they got that right, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 so, and 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 then um, by the late 16th century. Uh, the colleges do away with chained libraries. So uh, St. John's mm. is the first college that builds bookcases without having chains on them. And so we actually design and then build an example of this uh, of this kind of yeah, Oxford University bookcase because it's a really lovely form and holds, mm. holds a lot of books. It's uh, it's clearly quite historically quite significant. Uh, the the, one, the examples I found quite early ones where um, just everything is overbuilt. Right. Uh, so, so you've got these huge pieces of um, oak for for mm. the uprights, and then uh, for the case sides, and then honking great dados that must have been cut with an axe um, to hold the shelves. You know, everything is just massive. A, a, a great many oak trees died for Oxford, and um, <laughs> uh, and and it's just. They're just wonderful. When you mm. when you look in these libraries, you see the um, uh, the desk surfaces are, are completely smooth and burnished, but that's from several hundred years of, of constant use. And right. then the undersides, um, there's really rough texture because they, they've been kind of hewn more or less flat with an axe, and, and that's good enough. And then you, you move on to the next bit. R- real, um, it's really a story of kind of efficiency. You know, how, how do you build these quickly? And mm-hmm. uh, and, and sturdily and and they're very stasted in some cases 500 years um so 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 it's been really interesting and one of the other really interesting things to look at is when you see a bookcase a historic bookcase you first look at it and think right this is how it's been made so this is this is the use uh, or the needs of the 
people who originally built it. Mm-hmm. But then you start looking for evidence on how it's been altered. You know, right. over the course of several hundred years, have people taken out um, shells or uh, nailed in new shelf supports and changed the space of the shells and things like that? And it's really interesting to see where alterations have been made. Some have been made very, very neatly, and some of them have been pretty, uh, pretty bodged. Actually, mm-hmm. and um, and and that's fascinating because actually the alterations are a great deal about how um book storage needs and, and uses have changed yes yeah so i imagine the format of the books actual size and uh, shape of them have changed throughout the the centuries too uh, certainly um size and format yeah. one of the mm. really striking things though is that the the five to two ratio um is um is present from around about the seventh century seventh eighth century hmm um and it's so you, you get wildly different sizes yeah and, I, and i've seen i've seen some historic books but they're still are, the same ratio that's that's yeah that's amazing. you know yeah kind of more or less you know, um, yeah and 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 that blew my mind when i first saw it i was at an exhibit at the british library and there were two books next to each other one was the cuthbert bible a very famous eighth century bible and it's mm. palm sized you know it can sit in your hand it's tiny right and it was next to this absolutely humongous bible that was over 500 mil long mm-hmm. and wow. um wow. Uh, and several hundred um cask uh mm-hmm. the pages it was it was monumental but next to each other you know there was no you know that the size is completely at the opposite ends of the spectrum but the ratio was was consistent across both and this is a t- in a time long before um standardization Mm-hmm. of publishing sizes or formats or anything like that yeah. and it's not it's not necessarily an ergonomic because a book that that's that bit isn't going to go on your lap anyway right you know <laughs> you need it on the table because you can't possibly manage it and um and so it, it seems this is one of the interesting things we're we're, we're trying to hunt down but it, it almost it's almost a golden ratio for for book production Books, you know it's yeah. a, it's a um aesthetic thing uh-huh. maybe you know you look at it and you think that's a pleasing that's a pleasing shape for a book. Yeah, I, I, that is interesting. That is interesting as how that came to be would be because I know I have some some books here or there that are the long, you know, they're long and they're not very tall. And I find yeah. those, yeah, not comfortable at all. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting of uh, how that ratio came to be. But, yeah, it's got to be something that was ingrained way back, even, yeah, before the printing press, before all that. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it, it, it certainly dates from mm-hmm. when book produced by monks. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's either an aesthetic thing or, or an ergonomic thing. This is one of the things we want oh, to Oh, it could be ergonomic as mm-hmm. that's that's – the distance you could write and still be comfortable, you know. Possibly I, that, yeah. or it's easier to move your head up and down than, you know, your eyes yeah. can travel side to side down. Right. You don't want to be turning your head constantly, you know, yeah. if it's a, it, you imagine a book's uh, landscape and, mm-hmm. you know, um, half a meter. Right. Um, long but when mm-hmm. you've got it open that's a full meter of text across two pages you you're going to be turning your head an awful lot on uh-huh mm-hmm. so anyway anyways um th- there's some really fascinating 
question up by yes now. and um and hopefully yeah so, so we're, we're working much and hopefully it, it's something that um will trigger some interest and um and questions from from the woodworking community yes well i'm already interested where do i pre-order now yeah right <laughs> <laughs> it does it sounds like a, a strangely fascinating book especially like you said like going completely meta you release a book if i ever see that on a shelf and and you know in in whatever store i could find it's a book book wait it's a mm. book a book book okay <laughs> but, but but you're i mean in speaking of it like that that sounds incredibly interesting from a historical and and ergonomic everything like like mm. everything in between it's, yeah it sounds really cool great oh, yeah now are y'all going all the way up to the modern day like the libraries now that have these huge bookshelves that move so they can serve oh, space and all that kind of stuff are just well if you're volunteering to build something it'd be absolutely fantastic ah. <laughs> um, no. I, I think uh, we certainly want to go up to mid-century and, okay. and things like that. You know, which mm-hmm. you know, the if you think about something like the um, bookcase from the Anarchist Design book, that's you know, kind of a mm-hmm. uh, kind of a Danish uh, type type right. design, isn't it? So, so I think I think we'll we'll pick some kind of key um, bookcases, historic bookcases that that really fascinate us for projects. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I'm very keen to do is actually also include a discussion on on different techniques. You know, um, what are the techniques that that you see in the mm-hmm. history, in the furniture record for for, for building bookcases, um, and also your, uh, the mechanics of the bookcase? Because obviously, you don't want the shelves to be too thin; then they sag, like all mm-hmm. of the IKEA bookcases we have here. Um, uh, you know, um, and the shelves are really worth it. You know, yes, the computer is great, but mm-hmm. then how do you make sure that the the shelves? Um, you know, stay stay put and right. strong enough. And interestingly, again, Samuel Pepys started off with little shelves, but the last four bookcases that he say he bought uh, bought his bookcases over um, a number of years, and and the last mm. couple of bookcases don't have adjustable shelves mm. um, because he'd by then he'd, yeah. he'd worked out what size he needed. What's really interesting is the I think I think he bought the bookcases in pairs. Looking closely at them at the carvings and, and other other mm-hmm. features, you can see the slight variations. And there's one pair of bookcases, the first pair of non-adjustable bookcases, and 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 we know the order because they're actually that they're all numbered. And the first pair of non of bookcases that Samuel Pepys ordered, which did not have adjustable shell, um, they still had the dados knifed in on the interior. Mm-hmm. For, for all the just uh, for all the adjustable shelves, so huh. someone actually started laying them out and then yeah. didn't didn't actually cut them, which is just uh, it, it's only a small detail. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at these things, it, it's it's really exciting when you see something like that, and, and you actually get a get a brief insight. You think actually, yeah. um, uh, you know, the people who've been using these bookcases, yeah. uh, the, the librarians who look after them, are incredibly knowledgeable, but. Right. Again, they're looking at the books at the time. They don't right. think about the bookcases, and then you say to them, "You see these lines every day." I don't think anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you explain to them, "This, this, this is this is why. This is what these lines mean." Then they get really excited. So, so, um, so what mechanism did he have on the adjustable bookcases? Was it like a houndstooth type thing, or what? Just a lot of data. Just a lot many, of data. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then. Just um, take all the books off the shelf and then slide it into well, the data, then load it again. Okay, okay. Hmm. Okay, I see what you mean now with, with having the lines there saying, hey, yeah. they were going to put those in. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's all fascinating. So what's next for you? You, it oh, seems like you have a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, there's always lots going on. Um, so uh, bookcases are the next big thing for me for, for certainly next year, I would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, more research, uh, so building some bookcases, partially because uh, we need mm-hmm. the projects for the book book, and also because I've got a lot of books that need housing right um so 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 what bookcases are you going to build so you're you're going to build the one from the anarchist design book so are you going to build like the campaign or jefferson or some others that you've seen out out in the wild yeah campaign and jefferson and also this this form that i've seen in oxford okay um so that that's the that's the immediate feature um and then i suppose well uh, I, I've promised my uh, long life that I would uh, build a new dining room table and set of chairs. Uh, so, so that's that's kind of medium term. I'm thinking set of um, birdcage chairs. Uh, Curtis Buchanan's um, birdcage mm-hmm. chairs look look really yeah. beautiful. So, I think I think that. That, that, they, that they, they are beautiful they are beautiful yeah yeah and then uh, very, and, very and, and they don't take any time at all to build by the way oh excellent well, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that uh, <laughs> the uh and i mean really long in terms of very long um uh i i went to um where on the verge of putting in a, a research proposal for a history phd and uh, oh. what i would really what i would really like to do is actually um Take this, um, take this kind of interest in material culture you know, in in furniture history and, and woodwork, and actually do a um, uh, do a history PhD that that in, includes a um, an element of bench work. So you know, actually, uh, like we're doing with the book book, like Chris did with ingenious mechanics, I uh, have a have a research problem that is um, uh, solved through archival research and then tested uh by by building at the workbench mm-hmm. so that that's my that's my long-term aim oh wow that's fascinating yes, absolutely wow okay well back to my more mundane life so <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot going on it's all fascinating i can't wait to see what happens but uh let's move on to our fortnightly beer choices and uh by the way we've always called it the fortnightly beer choices just not while you're here <laughs> <laughs> but uh so i guess i'll start off so um i'm drinking um hop gusher ipa by spindle tap brewery so um it's a nice little ipa it's um of ipas it's not very uh alcoholic it's only 5.5 percent but uh it's very tasty very nice. hoppy and uh, like i said it comes from spindle tap brewery which is a uh a, um, a play on names for the spindle top uh, gusher that happened here in uh, Beaumont, uh, Texas, which was the I think it was the largest it was the largest oil discovery in America at the time and was the largest oil boom. So, ah, all yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, what are you drinking? Uh, I've got a I've got a local brewery, the Ernest Brew Works, their Crunchy Hippie, which is a granola brown ale. Um, Of course, it has to be. (laughs) Right. Why not? Uh, I mean, whatever. It's a brown. It's got a little... The granola adds a little sweetness to it. Um, Not not in a cloyingly sweet way, but uh, it's... It, it's good. I like it. I, it's, I like to support the local guys. So, uh, Kieran, uh, what are you drinking? Um, so, uh, 
I'm also uh, going with brewery at the moment. Um, brewery in Birmingham, Two Towers Brewery. Uh, so named as uh, the part of Birmingham I live in actually uh, has, has two, two towers in it, which were reputedly inspiration for um tolkien who was writing the lord of the rings trip. oh wow. uh, that makes tolkien, sense. yeah <laughs> tolkien actually um uh lived uh not far from where i currently live um for, for a period um you need to so, see if uh, he has any bookcases <laughs> <laughs> I, I have actually um i don't know about tolkien but i have in the bookcases belonging to uh c.s lewis oh, oh my wow. gosh yeah uh, uh, well so, they've uh, got to be contemporary with uh, tolkien so yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that, that, those are quite. Um, so, yes, uh, Two Towers Brewery. It's a Tolkien reference, also a Birmingham reference. And uh, they, they've got two very nice beers. Um, one's a Jewelry Porter, which is very dark, uh, heavy um, porter. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, also the Chamberlain uh, Paella, which is very nice. And that's that's named after Neville Chamberlain, uh, former prime minister and also right. uh, Birmingham chap. So so lots lots of uh, local Adrian references in, in the beer at the moment. Yeah, wonderful. That's really cool. cool. <laughs> that, that is cool. OK, that's better than any of us have. So anyway, moving <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I just love the history over there. So it's it's just fascinating. So, uh, but um, Karen, so uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so overthewireless.com is a blog and also contains a, a portfolio section of, of some of my work. And I can all be found on Instagram, uh, also using the handle overthewireless. Fantastic. And uh, Sean, where, where can folks find you? You can find me uh, at Sean W78 on most all of the social medias. How about you, Kyle? You can always find me at Barton.Kyle on Instagram, the only social media platform that matters. And with that, that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review. And thanks for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. If you like the show, be sure to visit us at modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MWA underscore national or on Instagram, that important social media, at MWA underscore podcast, or you can like us on Facebook. The best thing you can do is tell, tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing your discussion.